0: So thank you for a week away. Uh, some of you have been asking about my dad. He's doing good. I had a really good visit with him, and he's, uh, he's holding his own right now, which is good. And um, still at that place where we can interact really well and have some good conversations. So I should appreciate your prayers with that. Uh, able to give my sister a break last week. William, you did a great job last week. Thank you so much for your teaching on discipleship. It fit right in with what we're talking about, about the importance of making disciple makers, and that idea. It cost us something. It's hard. It, it's making disciples, becoming a disciple requires sacrifice. It's a hard thing, but it's what we're called to as followers of Jesus. This is the call in our life. So this week, Uh, I am going to go back to what I was going to preach on two weeks ago uh, when the Lord took me a little bit different direction. We want to continue with our discussion on why you need the church, why we need the church, why I need the church. And this entire series has just arisen out of really just my pastoral heart for you. Uh, As I look out over the American landscape, as I see what has happened to us as a culture going all the way back, especially starting March of 2020 when covid really came on the scene and began to radically change things i just have a real heart for what it has done to us as a nation as families and especially as a church and these are the things that i'm seeing that i'm just greatly concerned about because of the innovation that we've had to embrace in order to function as a society we have looked at every single thing that we do from the way we work to the way we have our groceries delivered to us all of those things have been changed in some form or fashion. And we've had to innovate. We've had to think of new ways to do that. And that includes within the body of Christ and even here at Trinity. Uh, You guys remember, uh, most of you, there was a time I was standing on a 10-foot wood platform. And while you were sitting in cars and you were listening to me over the radio, Uh, we we tried different things. Praise God, I'm not standing on a platform this morning. It looks like it could lighten at any minute now. I'm glad I'm in here this morning. It's good. Um, But then we shifted to uh, split services and then mass services. And now we're mask optional. We've had to shake some things up. But what we want to make sure that we understand is as these changes have come our way, that we're not allowing them to bring us down in our walk with the Lord. We want to make sure they're continuing to strengthen us. And so you know that there are some unintended consequences to some of these innovations that we've made. For some of you, uh, your workplace uh, was all gathered uh, before COVID. And then during COVID, uh, you were sent home with a computer and a phone line and an internet connection. And all of your work was done at a distance. And for some of you, your bosses decided, even though you could gather again, uh, it's more efficient for them if you work from home now. And because of that, now you're more isolated than you've ever been day in and day out. Uh, You don't leave your home. You're there. You're there from the beginning. You're there to the end. So uh, that has an effect on us. It can't help but have an effect on us. You know, students are returning to school, but then there's always that specter hanging over of what school's going to look like. Do we have masks? Are we going to have to take time off? What's happening? then, of course, with the Delta variant rising and the different things that that's interjecting again into our society, a lot of those innovations have the chance to plunge us into places we don't want to go, especially as followers of Christ. It can lead us to anxiety. It can lead us to isolation. And I just want to remind you what I've said a hundred times, but if you haven't got it yet, get this the enemy wants you isolated did you know that i mean the enemy wants you isolated why does he want you isolated because if you are apart from god's people then it's more difficult for you to operate in truth it's not impossible because as believers, you have the Holy Spirit of God. We're very fortunate to have a copy of the Word of God in our, our, our most of our mother tongues. We're able to read Scripture and have the Word of God. But listen, as you are isolated, the enemy comes right along and he lies to you and his voice sounds so much louder when you are by yourself. For me, his voice sounds so much louder at 2 o'clock in the morning when I wake up. Maybe I'm the only one. But at 2 o'clock in the morning, the voice of the enemy sounds so much louder than it does at 8 o'clock in the morning when the sun's up. It's not nearly as loud at 10 o'clock in the morning when I'm surrounded by a great godly staff and we're serving the Lord together. It's a lot less loud when we're gathered with 200 people in one room where we're all lifting up the name of Jesus and we're able to be together and sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. Listen, the enemy is always going to lie to us. The question is, how loud is the volume going to be? Are we going to have the skill set to turn down the volume in our ears day in and day out and to hold on to the truth and hold on to what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life or will we begin to stray from that and begin to shift from that and I want to say something to you if we are not careful in our isolation the enemy pushes us out and out and out have you ever seen uh, in the nature channels when lions are trying to take down like antelopes and gazelles and all those things you know how they do it They they don't take on 500 gazelles, right? They know that's not going to work. They're going to get a belly full of horns if they take on 500 gazelles. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for the one or two gazelles that stray out around the pack, and that when the herd goes this way when they see the lion, they're looking for the one that darts the other way, the one that's isolated. Listen, your enemy is no different. So this morning, we want to focus on why we need the church, especially when it comes to the enemy's plan to isolate us and to break off our connection from other believers. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we'll camp out this morning. And I just want to set the context a little bit. Hebrews was uh, written by someone we have no idea. Uh, we, We don't have any idea who this person was. Scholars have debated that back and forth. Uh, for a couple thousand years now. We'll figure it out uh, down the road when we get to eternity. But we can still learn amazing truths from whoever this person is because here's what we know. Whoever they were, they were writing to a community of faith that were wrestling and struggling just like we are. They were facing pressures and anxieties just like we are. It may have not been a virus, but it seems to have been a growing persecution that was coming against the church of Jesus Christ and that was being fostered by the Roman Empire and also by their very neighbors. And this is what we know about this community. It appears that they were Jewish believers. They were men and women who had been raised in the Old Testament faith. The Old Testament scriptures had been their scriptures their whole life. But just like most Jews in that time, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for that person that God would raise up that would be like King David. Who would free Israel and free the Jews from their bondage and lead the spiritual glory again? And they saw Jesus as the fulfillment of that. So when they heard the good news about Jesus, they saw the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. And they began to embrace everything that they were learning from Christ and the Holy Spirit. And now they're moving into those things. But you see, not every Jew believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so as they continued to interact with other Jews who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, those Jews were pushing back on them more and more. Now what's interesting about the Roman Empire is at the beginning of Christianity, there wasn't persecution, and here's why. Because it started as a Jewish faith embracing Jesus, and the Jews had this uneasy alliance with the Romans. The Romans actually allowed the Jews to worship however they wanted to. They didn't have to worship Caesar as a god. They didn't have to worship pagan idols. And they're one of the only cultural groups in the Roman Empire that was allowed to do that. And you know why? Because Jews will fight you to the last man. When Rome tried to march into Israel and tried to force religion onto them, uh, the Jews would just fight to the last man. In fact, they had uh, special groups of Jews that would do things like this. They would just carry around a knife in their back pocket, and they would just randomly walk up to Roman soldiers and stab them in the stomach and walk off and let them bleed to death very painfully. And so they started saying to themselves, you know, maybe forcing them to worship idols is not really worth it. So the Jews were given freedom to worship how they wanted to, which meant the early believers did too. But as Jews started to make a distinction between what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and what it meant to not, they began to go to the Romans and say, listen, these Christians are not Jews. They they don't believe what we believe. They worship a whole other God, and you shouldn't be giving them the same protections like you give up. And you know what? Rome listened to them. They listened to them. So they began to face persecution by other Jews around them. They began to face persecution by the Romans. And this community, we know, were not losing their life yet. They weren't shedding their blood. That's what Scripture tells us in Hebrews. But it was probably things like going into the marketplace and people refusing to let you buy groceries for them. Or maybe you're a a booth owner and you have corn to sell, but nobody will buy from you because they know that you're a Christian. It was that kind of persecution. It seems to be things like landlords who were forcing Christians out of homes or not allowing them to, to rent from them. Merchants who were blackballing Christians everywhere they go. And that persecution is increasing. We know in just a matter of years after writing this that emperors like Diocletian and Nero would systematically persecute Christians to death. So we know it's coming. And, and here's what these Jewish Christians are wrestling with now. You know what? Follow, following Jesus is costing me a lot. Like it's costing me the ability to sell things. It's costing me the ability to buy things. It's costing me the ability to live, you know. Maybe I just need to go back to being a regular run-of-the-mill Jew just like my neighbor is, and and, and then I don't have to worry about all this. And so they're wondering, is their faith Worth it, just like William talked about yesterday. Is it last week? Is it worth it? And he writes an entire letter to say it's absolutely worth it. Not only is it worth it, but Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the law. He's better than the sacrificial system. He's better than anything the Old Testament had to author because He is the fulfillment of that. And by the way, you got to hang tough because it's only going to get worse. Isn't that an encouraging word? I mean, he ends the letter with, Jesus is better, and it's going to get worse. And I want to encourage us. I don't know how long this Delta variant is going to last, but you know, there's a good chance another variant's going to come along. It's a good chance we're going to be, even a year from now, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, even a year from now, we could still be wrestling with masks and whether or not we shut down schools and our government, all that kind of stuff. Who knows? We don't know. But we have Jesus. I said we have Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth being trusted. Jesus has always come through from us. He's never disappointed us. And the way that we must intimately experience Jesus on a regular basis is His church. His church. The people of God gathered for the worship of God. When we talk about the church, I mean it in two ways. One, the church, we talked about this, the universal church every single believer throughout history, those who have been called by God to salvation, all the way back to men and women in the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, the last 2,000 years, all that great cloud of witnesses, some of them have already gone on to heaven to be with the Lord, some living all over the world now, China, Africa. That's the universal church, everyone who is truly a follower of Jesus Christ. But there's also not just the universal church, but there's the particular church. There is the church that chooses to gather in certain places, like this particular church who likes to gather at 1021 South Ebenezer Road. There's other particular churches in Florence. There's Palmetto Street Church of God. There's First Pres, There's New Spring. There's all these different particular churches. And when we, as part of the universal church, decide to gather as the particular church, God moves among us. And listen, we need each other. We need each other. So, I want us to understand what connects us because I think what happens when we have distance from each other, we begin to reevaluate everything just like our employer reevaluates the way that you work. we reevaluate things like, you know um, what is church I mean is church just turning on a worship service on the internet is that church is is a Bible study led by Tim Keller over the internet is is that church is What's church? Well, today we're going to talk about what church is, and part of it is it's connecting with other believers. And we want to talk about what connects us. And the writer of Hebrews encourages us to understand just, he wa- just as he wanted those believers to understand. In the midst of persecution and difficulty, here is what connects us, and we can't let go of it. So Hebrews chapter 10, down to verse 19, Listen to what he says here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, and by the way, that therefore has set up about ten chapters of explaining why Jesus is better than everything. Now we're getting down to the practical. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, which is Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. An an allusion back to the Old Testament. Did you get that? In the Old Testament, the way that they would provide atonement, uh, the, the high priest would kill a bull once a year and he would take the blood, he would sprinkle it over the top of the ark and that would cover Israel for that year. Look at what he says, having our hearts sprinkled. Do you see what he's doing there? Then he says, having our bodies washed with pure water. That may be an allusion to where priests were required to wash their bodies before they went into service as leaders in Israel. It may also be an allusion to baptism. That act of saying, I identify with Jesus. I am saying my sins are cleansed. It could go either way there. But listen to how he's referring back to the beautiful history of the Old Testament for them, but then bringing them back and seeing it fulfilled in Jesus. Now listen to this. And let us consider, please underline consider, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I want us to talk about what really connects us as believers in Jesus Christ. So you have some notes in your bulletin there. I encourage you to write a few things down because... What really connects us is the Holy Spirit, and we want to allow the Holy Spirit to sit with us during the week and take the Word of God, take this passage, and teach us deeply about committing to what connects us as a body of believers. The first thing is this, what really connects us. One is approaching God together. Approaching God together. Remember in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Look at verse 22. Let us, let us, let us draw near to God. Let us as individuals come together and draw near to God. Listen, there's a lot of things I love about our country and about our history. It's taught us to fight for what we value, it's taught us to work hard, it's taught us that opportunity is incredibly important. And that for the majority of the time, when opportunity is presented and and hard work is applied, it allows us to advance. There are people that come literally from all over the world just to have an opportunity. To have an opportunity. But one of the things that has poisoned in the church is in our pursuit of opportunity, we have created a lot of individualism. Where I work hard, I focus on me, I focus on my job, I focus on advancing. And when it comes into the church, individualism is a poison, it is not a blessing. Do you realize, I want you to get this, every single book of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, was written to a community of faith that was desperately dependent on each other and incredibly interconnected. Even books that were written to individuals like Philemon and 1 Timothy and Titus were written to people who existed in a context of inner connectedness. To understand pursuing Jesus as an individual to the people who originally read these letters and these books and these histories would have been unfathomable for them. They could not have imagined living in a culture in which you can survive as an individual. Here's why we are pretty good at surviving as individuals, because we have more resources now. We have more technology. We don't have to worry about food. We don't have to worry about shelter as much like they did. They needed their neighbors to be able to put food on their table. They needed their neighbors to be able to have shelter. But here's the problem. Um, We think we can survive as individuals, but we can't. We can't. We need people. And unfortunately, we don't understand it until a hurricane blows through. We don't understand it until... A cancer diagnosis comes our way. We don't understand it until something our individuality can't handle happens. But we especially can't handle it spiritually. We're called to approach God together. One of the healthiest things we do every single Sunday morning, one of the healthiest things we do on Wednesday nights when you come, Sunday school, youth group, is that we get to approach God together. My approach to God Alone is not enough. Am I called to approach God alone? Am I day in and day out? Absolutely. I need to be in the Word. I need to be praying. I need to be sitting with Him. Uh, he, I was even uh, studying this morning, Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your closet and pray to your Father who is unseen. So there's this idea that we should have this individual relationship with the Lord, but it has to be tempered by a corporate Relationship with the Lord in which we come together. We approach God together. Listen, it's as important for me to approach God alongside Tommy and Bran and Vicki as it is for me to approach God by myself. It has to be part of a regular rhythm. It's not just good for me. It's good for them too. It's good for them too. We have to be connected and approaching God together is one of the ways that happens. Number two, what really connects us? Holding tenaciously to the truth, holding tenaciously to the truth connects us. You know, nothing unifies a high school football team like playing your across-town rival, right? I mean, people from all different backgrounds, all different educational standards. You got E students, F students, you got A students— You have people, all economic statuses back and forth, but all, they unify together in one forceful pack of wild animals, right? Because they're going to go take down their moral enemies. Why? That common cause is what unifies us. Aren't we seeing common causes unifying people in our culture right now? And some of them, listen to me, some of the causes that are unifying people now are not great causes. And we have to be aware of that. We have to speak into that. As a church, do you see why it's so important that we unify together? That we rally around a common cause. That we confess our faith together. That we look at Jesus, our one true model and Savior. We rally around the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's critically important. The enemy is rallying people. The enemy is rallying people. The Lord wants us to rally too. But here's what's happened. Because of this virus and because of technology, we're actually spreading out more. We're spreading out more. We can't afford to do it. Together, we are much more able to tenaciously hold to the truth than you can do by yourself. Have you ever had a brother and sister in Christ that's helped you understand a theological concept or a point that you didn't understand, but just in that conversation they were able to sharpen you, and you were going, oh, okay, that, that's why, that's why we believe in virgin birth. Okay, that, that's it. That, I, I get that now. I understand that. It's always easier to stand for truth when you feel like someone's got your back. When you feel like someone else is believing those same things and standing for truth too, you can rally at any point. And that's what connects us, that ability to fight and hold to the truth. Number three, what really connects us? Considering the growth of others as well as my own. This is so hard for us. This is so hard for us to look around the room, to look around the pews, to look across the table, and to think, what is God doing in Sherry's life this morning? not what is God doing in Matt's life this morning. What's God doing in Debbie's life this morning? What's God doing in Diane's life this morning? What's God doing in Taylor's life this morning? Because odds are, someone like Taylor could be walking in having the worst week of his entire life. And because of how we've learned to come to church and how we've learned to put things on, you could walk in, you could walk out, and no one could ever know that. Please tell me you know that's true. Please tell me you know that when people shake hands with you and you say, how's your week? And they say, it's good, that a lot of times they're lying to you. And here's why, hold on, here's why we lie to each other. Because we've grown to believe that you don't care. Because isn't it so much harder for me to say, Whitney, Whitley, how is your walk going? And for you to say, man, this, is, this has been a really hard week. Is it hard for me to pause in and go, well, what's happening? Or, or how can I pray for you? Or, and actually, to stop, you know, sometimes we go that far and say, how can I pray for you? I'm trying to be better about this. They tell me, go ahead and stop and pray for them. Like, it's okay, like, go ahead, stop and pray for them. Lay your hand on their shoulder and pray for them. Here's what it communicates. I genuinely care about you. If we don't feel like someone is really going to respond to that, then what do we say? We say, good, because you want to get on your way, and I want to get on my way. We, we want to we keep going. But when we focus on others' relationship with Jesus as much as ours, we all grow as a body. We all grow. Uh, what do you think worship would be like next Sunday? Get this. Worship would be like next Sunday. If before we came, each one of us had spent time with Jesus and had prayed a simple prayer like this. Lord, I don't know what you're doing among the people I'm going to interact with, but I want to love people well. I want to be you to other people. I want to be Jesus to other people. I want you to show me who those people are that you're going to put away. I'm not going to be able to minister to 200 people, but I bet I can minister to two. Would you give me eyes to see those two people that only this week you want me to minister to? Will you give me the courage to slow down? Will you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that whatever you want me to say to them, I'll have the words to say. I'll have the courage to do it. Would you use me today to help that person grow closer to you and more mature in their relationship with Christ? If each one of us were focused on that, how would next Sunday go? It would be a completely different environment. Because here's the thing. You cannot focus on someone else's walk without growing in yours. It makes you more like Jesus. We think somehow by focusing on someone else, it hurts our walk. No, 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 no. Jesus walked with the God the Father more than anybody, closer than anybody. And what was Jesus constantly doing? He was constantly giving to others. Constantly giving to others. Focused on them. We talked about in Sunday school class. There are certain people that when you encounter them... They make you feel like you're the most important person in the world. They just have a way about them, of talking with you, and giving them attention. We're talking about Myra Tong. You guys remember Myra. Myra lost her life this past year. Myra was one of those people. She could walk into a room of seven-year-olds, and she could make every single one in that room feel like they're the most important person on the face of the planet. Does our culture need that? Yeah, our culture needs that. And we can be that when we gather to focus on everyone else's walk, not just ours, he said, consider, that's what the writer of Hebrews says, consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, which is number four, spurring on the growth of others and allowing them to spur mine. What connects us? Spurring on other people's growth and allowing them to spur on mine. What's a spur? We we don't really talk about this because we're not really an agrarian culture anymore. What's a spur? A spur are these metal things that people used to put on boots so that they could take that metal thing and they could shove it into the ribs of a horse to make the horse do what they want it to do. That's what spurring someone on is. If you're a horse, how's that go? Is that a pleasant thing? That's not a pleasant thing. But you'll do, as you train a horse, you get to use the spurs less and less because they respond to you. They respond to you. We're called, as believers in Jesus Christ, to spur each other on, which means that my job is on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whenever I see Larry Lutchen, is to walk up to Larry and to spur him to be more like Jesus. To say, Larry, press on, man. Larry, how can I pray for you? Larry, how can I help you understand the Lord? Larry, what can you do to spur me on? Listen, you guys spur me on as a pastor so often. You're, you're the most incredibly encouraging uh, congregation I've ever been a part of. Um, I love going away because when I come back, you say, you miss me. Uh, I can't imagine being a pastor coming back, nobody say, you miss me. Um, or when people really love the person that preached last week, they're like, when is that person going to preach again? I mean, I really, I appreciate it. I appreciate the encouragement you give my wife you give my children we need that we have to spur each other on to love and good deeds and spurring is not always easy it's not always peaceful sometimes you have to say hard things to each other as a community of faith and last but not least is this what really connects us and this is really what I circle round, right back down to this is it this is the takeaway what really connects us is this being present enough to deeply connect. Being present enough with people to deeply connect is what connects us. So I want to speak some clarification to you and some vision for you. Because if we don't do this, if we don't define our terms, and if we don't help you with this, then you're going to misunderstand while we do the things we do. We talked about going through a process of innovating, when this virus came up as a church, it brought some really great things into our church. One of the things we did was we made sure that we could stream online. We, we bought cameras. We invested in that. We upped our, our internet bandwidth so we could be part of that magical universe of Wi-Fi. We figured out how to uh, align computers. We even hired someone to work part-time to make sure that this runs really well. And we did that because we want it to be a resource for you. A resource, and I would encourage you to write that down on your bulletin. Our streaming, especially if you're watching right now, hey, how are you? This is a resource for you, it's a resource that we're providing for you. Just like when we did a First Peter teaching on Wednesday nights when we couldn't have Wednesday nights, remember that each week I I taught through First Peter if you wanted to access that. Our youth were doing Zoom meetings during the quarantine so they could do different things. Our our, uh, Hispanic ministry was doing some different worship as a distance. All of those things are resources. Guess what it's not? It's not church. It's not church. Technology can do a lot of amazing things, but it takes a real effort through technology to actually connect with people. And what makes us a church? Deeply connecting with each other. So I want to say something to you. If you're watching this, you're not connecting with me right now because I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're uh, sitting at home and you live here in Florence. We have people I know in in Ireland right now that are watching. You watch every single week, which is awesome. I love that. But right now, I can't connect with you. I, I can't do that. So This is not church. This is just a resource. But here's what's happening in our culture. We'll stay home and we'll watch T.D. Jakes at the Potter's House in Texas, who is amazing. If you've never listened to T.D. Jakes, you should listen to him. He's awesome. And the Potter House does some pretty good worship. But I have news for you. You listen to T.D. Jakes and the Potter House online, you're not a member of the Potter's House, baby. You're not part of that church. It's a resource. T.D. Jakes would tell you that. It's a great thing to spur you on in your walk. It can get you from point A to point B, but that's not church. Listen, you can go online and watch Stephen Furtick at Elevation. You can watch Clayton King at NewSpring. You can watch Tim Keller. I think Tim retired. So you probably can't watch Tim now, but you used to be able to watch Tim. But that doesn't make you part of City Church in New York. Because you have to be able to connect with people. Now, Pastor Matt, are you saying I can't connect with technology? You absolutely can. Right now, I'm discipling four young men that grew up in this church. One lives in New York, Upper State New York. One lives in Jacksonville, Florida. One lives here in Florence. One is here this morning. He actually lives in Greenville. Hey, Ben, good to see you. And we are connecting by Zoom, we're we're growing in our faith together. I'm challenging them. They're challenging me. We, we can talk about life. We can look each other in the eye. It may be through the internet, but we can look each other in the eye. There's give and take. There's ability to have connection. So I'm telling you, you can have connection through technology. It's just really hard. And you know what I think I'm seeing? I'm not seeing people doing hard work to connect through technology. I'm seeing technology making us more soft. Don't believe it, you're probably watching this with coffee in your hand and some of you are in pajama bottoms. You are. You are. You didn't put on a shirt and tie to go watch Pastor Matt this morning. You didn't. And what we can drift into if we're not careful is it can become so comfortable to have a cup of coffee in your hand and pajama bottoms on that we don't go through the sacrifice of coming here anymore. Because that means i got to get my kids dressed, i got to get a Pop-Tart in their mouth, and i got to do something with my hair before 10.30. Which is a miracle for many of us. But I want to say something to you. It is worth it! It is worth it! What we're doing for you right now is for people who I know We have people with health issues right now. They can't get out right now. They can't be around people. Nope, we don't begrudge that. We have people in the military. They can't be with us right now. They want to be somewhat connected with us and know what the Lord's doing at Trinity. That's a resource. But don't let this become church for you because it's not church. It's not church. This is church. This is church. And if I have to put on a mask so I can stand at the back and shake your hands, it's worth it. If I have to carve out a fourth of this sanctuary so that you can wear a mask and you can be here, it's worth it. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. But it's worth it. And you need the church because you need connection. Don't let the enemy tell you that watching Matt Walton once a week on a Tuesday during your lunch break is church. church. It's not church. It's a resource. I'm glad we can give it to you. But it's not enough. It's not enough. You need this too. You need this too. I've made my point. William's going to come and lead us in a final song as we do that. This is a chance for us to respond.